Well, I wanted to continue with you this week, looking at some of the truths from the epistle of Peter. And, you know, we haven't really been going verse by verse, but just, you know, just looking at some truths that are relevant to us in as believers in this day and age. And Peter has a lot to speak to us, surprisingly, that that can really apply to us, especially now and in the days to come. And um, before we dive into Peter, I wanted to look at something the Apostle Paul talked about kind of as a segue into what Peter said. And, um, you know, Paul asks a question, and it's about how we can understand the kingdom of God. And he talks about how we, you know, as human beings— we have to have a change of mind to understand the things of God and his kingdom. And, and so he talks about this in second Corinthians two and verse 11, if we can start there, second Corinthians two eleven, he says, for what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of a man that's in him. And so he's talking off, he's starting off talking about how does a man know what's going on in the spirit of someone Right, that's talking about the mystery of the human soul, of you know that each person has has a soul, but it's hidden within us. It's not visible. It's not measurable. I was actually reading. I'm sorry if this is kind of morbid, but you know, someone was weighed, tried to weigh someone before they died, and then after they died, to say, does the human soul have a weight? Right, trying to prove that we have a soul, but that it's not measurable. It's hidden. It can't be seen. And sometimes people try to figure out what's going on in our soul or how we're feeling or so forth. But, you know, no one can really know what's going on. Have, you know, have you ever had a, a, maybe been going through a hard time and, you know, it's, it's difficult. And then someone kind of downplays it like, uh, you're not, you're not going through a hard time. That's nothing. Right. And, but in your spirit or in your soul, you're saying, yeah, but it's something to me. Right? It's hard for what I'm going through and experiencing. Right? And so only the spirit of a person can understand what's going on in their own soul or in their own spirit. But so Paul continues on in verse 11. He says, even so the things of, the, of, things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Verse 12, for now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. And so when we come to Christ, we receive his spirit, and that's the only way we can begin to have our eyes opened to his kingdom and to his ways, that we might know the things that were freely given to us from God. And then in verse 14, says this, but the natural man, right, or the spirit of this world, as he's saying, the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God. They are foolish. It's foolishness to them. They can't know them because they are spiritually discerned or they're discerned by the spirit of God. And so what Paul is doing here is he's, he's giving that comparison of what it's like for, you know, just like no one can know what's going on in the thoughts of our heart, as much as they try to listen, they can kind of try and discern through our actions, but they can't really know, All right? There's no such thing as a mind reader. Thank God, right? <laughs> or we'd be in trouble. <laughs> but in the same way, it's impossible for those in this world 
in the spirit of this world to understand and comprehend the things of the spirit of God, but by his spirit. It's foolishness. They just can't, you know, especially people, you know, when unsaved people try to understand the motivations and why believers hold to what they do, it's foolishness. And you try to talk to them about an invisible God and his kingdom and they think it's crazy talk or we're crazy. But, you know, it's kind of like, I was trying to think of a different analogy. It's, it's kind of like trying to talk to someone who was born blind and tell them what something looks like. They have no concept. They have no base. Look at this beautiful red apple. Well, I know you've, you, you've never seen one, but I'll describe it to you. How do they know what the color red is? I mean, you know, it's like they have no base and no concept. The only way they can know is by experiencing that thing to truly understand it. And, and that's the difference between someone who knows Christ and who does not. Because when we receive Christ, we receive his spirit and he opens our eyes to see a whole new world, a new universe that we didn't know about. And Paul, Paul describes this in Ephesians 1.18 his prayer is that, and, and of course, he's describing this as a progressive form, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. And he's not speaking to unsaved people. He's speaking to people who have come to know Christ. And then he's saying, I pray that you come to know him more and that your eyes will be opened even more to understand the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. You know, when we first come to Christ, I mean, that, that phrase, born again, Christ didn't say that for nothing, because when we come into his kingdom, that is what happens, isn't it? We get saved and we're like, whoa, this is totally new. This is a new way to think and to understand about God and angels and the spirit of God dwelling in me and his word and how we see it anew. It's like a new baby. It can be overwhelming at times, all the information you're trying to process. And it takes a while to learn how to walk and how to run. Thankfully, it's a little faster than being born as a baby. But everything's different when we look to Christ. And one last thing, but this is actually all an introduction. So. But one last thing I want to look at from what Paul says is, is, is 1 Corinthians 2.16 he says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And this is what I really wanted to focus on and what's going to lead us into Peter is, is this powerful statement. We have the mind of Christ. That's something to say. We have the mind of Christ. You know, Paul's bringing out all these statements about how mankind is blind to himself, no ability to see uh, the kingdom of God and, and, you know, who can know the mind of the Lord. And then he, he makes the statement, we have the mind of Christ. And that's what I really want to look at today is that God's desire is that we develop his mind. And we think as he thinks and, and see things as he sees them and understand them as he does, because that's the real way. Anything that doesn't see it as, as he sees it is just, is a vapor. It does not even real because what, how he sees it is the eternal way. That's how we're going to see it for the next 
think of a really big number. A trillion, trillion years, right? You know, they, they, set all, they have numbers that go way up. In fact, I'm going to use one of them, but they, you can't even quote them. Or don't even, it's hard to, to pronounce them, I should say. But God's purpose is that we come to know his mind and have his mind. And, and, there's, and, and we do that in our journey as we walk with him. Now, and there's many aspects in coming to know the Lord that you could talk about. You know, how do we come to know Jesus and to learn of him more? There's many things we could say, but I want to bring it back to Peter's letters uh, because he says something specifically about the mind of the Lord that, that he brings out. You know, we're looking at the context of Peter. And so I thought I would, we could look at this. And so 1 Peter 4 and verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same mind. Now here's Paul saying, we have the mind of Christ. And so what does that mean? Well, one way that we could know, as Peter says, arm yourself with this same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. And so the, you know, as, as Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. There's a truth that when we come into the kingdom of God, we have a new perspective. We, you know, the spirit of God comes within us and just opens our eyes to see something new. And, and then Peter says, arm yourselves. That this word is, is kind of like a military word. It means equip yourself. You know, if you know you're about to go out with the fight, it's better to be equipped with something, you know? And so, you know, we're talking about a spiritual warfare. And so a part of our equipment is the mind of Christ. And if we don't have his mind, we're going out lacking an essential piece of our equipment. And so the truth that we can understand or that we can know here is that in, to fully understand the mind of Christ or to have the mind of Christ is what Peter says, is experiencing a degree of what Christ experienced when he was on earth, which was trouble, trouble suffering, difficulty. Everyone's fam- favorite sermon title, right? How to Suffer for Jesus. Um, but in one sense, if we're disciples, disciples mean basically means one who is like their master, who is following the master to identify. If we're going to be a disciple, there's a measure where we have to identify with the way he walked. And when he walked, he went through some trouble. He went through some difficulty. And so if we want to identify with him, we can expect seasons. You know, I, I, I'm trusting the Lord. Our, we won't have whole lives full of it, but yet, you know, some have experienced that almost as a calling that God can use them as that testimony, but yet to identify with, with him, we have to experience what he has experienced because that's really how you come to know someone because you can relate to them and through difficulty in this instance, you know, if someone is battled with a disease, you know, cancer and they've come through it and it's in remission and then they meet someone who's 
at the beginning of that stage, they instantly know them or at least know what they're going through, what they're about to experience. And there's a union there. And with Christ, there's a connection that we can have with him when we identify with his suffering. And Peter says this in in chapter 4 and verse 12. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. But instead, rejoice. That's not our natural inclination with suffering or trouble. But this is the spiritual inclination and reaction that we're to have. But rejoice. And why is that? Because you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, you will be glad with exceeding joy. You know, this helps us with our perspective in life or to develop a right perspective in life. You know, when good things happen, we can rejoice because God is good and he wants us to know his goodness in the land of the living. Um, But, you know, also when we experience difficulty and suffering, we can also rejoice in that we can understand that part of following Christ is experiencing what he did and just walking in the pathway that he did. And why is that? So that when he comes in his glory, we will rejoice because we've come to know him in all of the the ways he desires us to know him. There was a a story uh, that a very godly couple shared that they were in a car accident and they had already been dealing with a lot in their lives of things that were happening and taking place. Um, And then they're just driving and bam, someone hits them and it was the other person's fault and their car was totaled. They were injured, one of them seriously. And, um, and the wife was sharing how they were kind of going to the Lord and say, Lord, why did this have to happen? You know, after everything else, this happened. We were just driving along, minding our own business and someone just ran into us. You know, they're just trying to be faithful to the Lord. And, and then the Lord spoke a verse into her heart from Peter. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial as though some strange thing has happened. Instead, rejoice. And, you know, that changed her perspective. That God was in it. That God was using it. And it enabled her to, oh, just have the burden lift away. And it's, well, Lord, I'm just rejoicing that one day I'm going to we're going to see each other and we're going to rejoice together because we walk the same road. Now there's different types of suffering. I, I just want, I'll mention this for just a small point, but you know, there's suffering for the name of Christ in our nation right now. We don't do that too much as compared to other nations, right? You proclaim yourself a Christian in some nations and you lose everything. You pay a big price in this nation. Not so much. We're not sure about the future, but yet that's one aspect where we suffer for the name of Christ. And in fact, I think it's God almost reserves that as a privilege. There's great glory 
in that. It's not something we need to seek after. I'm going to go, you know, proclaim Christ to someone who I know is going to beat me up, right? That's not, we're not to seek after that. So, but, you know, there's that suffering where the disciples rejoiced and danced and were glad that they were, had the privilege of suffering for the name of Christ. But, you know, there's also a suffering that just simply comes from walking in the pathway that he's ordained for us. It's not overtly suffering because we preached Jesus or, or witnessed to someone and suffered because of that, but it's just a suffering that comes from following God and walking in his pathway. Because we understand God is working and he's doing something good in our lives. And we will be glad. You know, it's like, it's, it's as if Peter's saying, one day we're going to get to heaven and we'll look back on the, the difficulties we experienced that we did not like at all at the time. It's almost like we'll look back and say, thank God I went through those. Thank God I experienced that suffering because it enabled me to know Christ in a greater way. As I said, you know, we're not going out looking for it. You know, we don't get up in the morning and say, Lord, can I suffer for you some more? The Lord knows exactly what we need to know him. But we can thank God that he's always in control and he's, he's always working for our good. And that doesn't mean we, can, we, have to, we can't pray, Lord, would you deliver me? from this situation? Or Lord, would you heal me? Or Lord, would you give me victory over this? He desires us. In fact, when we call upon him in those situations, our heart is drawn even closer to him. I remember a teaching I was listening to of uh, the wife of Pastor Bailey, of uh, Audrey Bailey, and she I, I met her when I was very young. You know, I didn't really get to know her, but those who knew her say she was one of the godliest women they'd ever met. You know, she just had such a close walk with the Lord um, and she's with the Lord now. But I was listening to one of her teachings and she was describing some of the difficulties she had experienced. She had experienced a lot of physical issues, heart troubles and some pain and so forth. Of course, she had a stroke at the end of her life. But at some at one point she was in great distress in her body. And it was very difficult. And she was sharing this in the teaching, how it, it was so bad and so painful that she said the only thing that got her through was she wrote a Bible verse on a piece of paper and she held it in her hand all day. And when she just couldn't take it, she just looked down, oh yes, as a reminder. And she just kept her focusing on the Lord. And, and the verse that she wrote was what we read in 1 Peter 4, in verse 1, For as much as Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. He that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There's something about suffering that does a work in our lives. And she would just hold that as a reminder. And she knew God was working for her good. And or eventually the Lord touched her in, the, in that situation and, and turned it. But, you know, she had that certainty. God, you're going to meet me. You're going to carry me through. You're going to work in my life through this. And, you know, God wants to give us that certainty in our hearts, that certainty that we can look to him. And even though we don't know the outcome, we can have that certainty and we can proclaim it 
in that situation. And it's almost like that certainty is something that shines out, that others can see it. They will see it when you are certain that God is with you, even in, especially when you're in a, a time of suffering and you're proclaiming that. It's like a spotlight shining out. Wow, they've got some faith. God's with them. And God can use that. You know, I was thinking about Job. He went through a lot of things, right? I mean, he's the picture of suffering and God meeting him. But in the, in the midst of losing everything and his wife telling him, curse God and die, then all of his friends come and say, Job, it's all your fault. <laughs> right? So in the midst of that, Job says this statement. He says a few statements throughout that are kind of some gems of, of how he's looking to God and he's certain of God's goodness. And so he says this in Job 19.25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will, and that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth. And though uh, my skin worms destroy in this body, yet in my flesh, I will see God whom I shall see myself, my eyes will behold, and not another, though my body is destroyed. With some things in Job's life, I mean, we kind of cringe at what he had to go through. And, you know, that was a calling for him. He qualified for that. But what we want is to also have that perspective in the midst of our difficulty. Lord, I know I'm going to stand with you as I just hold on to you. I'm going to stand. You're going to keep me. You're going to preserve me and present me, as Jude says, faultless before your throne, as with exceeding joy as we hold on to him. And we can say that I know my Redeemer lives and I'll stand with him upon the earth. That shines as a spotlight when we proclaim that certainty in Christ. I just want to look at one more thing that Peter brings out um, that's, I think, is a real key in these seasons of difficulty, of suffering. Um, when we're experiencing that, is that we've looked at the fact that we need to have a right perspective. But sometimes our heart is overwhelmed. And even though we know it's still overwhelming in our heart, because that's what the situation is designed to do overwhelm our flesh. And cause our spirit to look to Christ. But there's something that we can obtain from God that will make all the difference in our trial. And Peter says this, 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, Every man has received the, as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so Peter says, we're to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And in fact, this is something else that the Lord shared with Sister Bailey in, in many of her trials. You know, she went through a lot of those experiences and the Lord spoke to her one, one day about this word manifold out of Peter's epistles. And if we look back in 1 Peter 1 and verse 6, it uses the same word, manifold. It might be different in different translations, but um, it says where in first Peter one, six says, wherein you greatly rejoice now for a season. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. 
You don't have to raise your hands, but who's been there, right? In heaviness because of manifold temptations, right? Those seasons of suffering we've been talking about. Um, and so in, in 1 Peter 1, 6, there's manifold temptations, but then in, in 4, 10, there's manifold grace, the manifold grace of God. Uh, in, the, in the Greek, that word manifold me, can mean many colored, like there's many different colors. And, and we actually, I was looking this up. We know from science that there are a lot of colors in the world. In fact, one scientist calculated um, and determined there are 18, this is the word I was talking about, 18 decillion possible colors. What's a decillion? Uh, It's a one followed by 33 zeros. And there's 18 decillion possible colors in in the world. I mean, that's, that's basically limitless. I don't know. That's as close to infinity, you know? And so what Peter is saying here and what the Lord is saying is that there are an infinite number of difficulties that we can go through. We can all be here together and all be going through something totally different. And you try and share it with someone that's like, they don't really know. They can't comprehend or understand what I'm going through because they're they're on purple and I'm on red, (laughs) you know, or whatever color. But what the Lord is saying is that whatever color of trial... He has a matching color of grace that he wants to give to us. He wants us to experience. And I, I like the positive better. There's 18 decillion experiences of grace that God has for us, that he wants us. Now, thankfully, we, I don't know if it'd be possible to experience all 18 decillion of them, but maybe there's a handful that God wants to meet with us in our life that in those trials, there's a, there's a color of grace he wants to weave into us. Kind of like Joseph in his coat of many colors. I think in heaven, there's going to be some saints with some colorful garments. All right, Lord, I, need, I, I know I need some work done to get some more colors in my garment, so Lord, help us. But God wants to meet with us. And so that's the key. Oh, Lord, Put your fresh grace in me so that I can meet you in this trial, in this situation. Give me fresh fresh ability to overcome, to persevere, to triumph. You know, in in our short time on earth, and it is so short, relatively, no matter how long we live, you know, God could bless us with 100 years on earth, but that is nothing compared to eternity. And so this is our opportunity to to experience those different shades of color. We want a variety. We want lots of colors. It's the code of many colors, not just of a few colors. And God wants to give us that ability. One last thought about grace. Romans 5.17 For for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Those who receive the abundance, many colors are going to reign in life. And so we need the abundance. And it comes, unfortunately, that means an abundance of 
difficulties, difficult situations. So we can't get it all in a single experience, unfortunately. Maybe there's more than where he could do more than one. That means we got to cry out twice as hard. I don't know about that. But, but, you know, it means an abundance of situations where we receive grace because we've cried out to God. Impart your grace to us. And that allows us to reign in life. And we already mentioned Joseph, right? He, he's the guy that had the coat of many colors, but what did he also have to experience? I think from the world's perspective, he was just a slave and a prisoner, the lowest of the low. But from God's perspective, he had learned to reign because even as he was a slave, he was put into the forefront of Potiphar's household and he reigned. And then he was thrown into prison, an even lower place. And as he was faithful, he was handed the keys and he could open any door. Maybe, maybe he wasn't given the key to the outer door. I don't know, but he could open any door he wanted. He reigned. But that was all a preparation for him to reign under Pharaoh. And that's really the type. And his life speaks to us of saints as we're living in the last day. God is preparing his people to rule and reign with him. But that means we need to get some colors. We can't be bland Christians. I think that's the style today is like different shades of gray and he wants us to be colorful as believers, but that means the abundance of grace. I'll just close with a verse from Peter here in, in 1 Peter 4, 19. He says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. That's another key. We didn't really bring that out. We can suffer for our own sins. <laughs> That's not quite the suffering we're after. But we suffer as we follow God. And when we do that, we commit the keeping of our souls to him in well-doing as under, unto a faithful creator. We talked about having that certainty. That's what it is. Lord, I'm just committing my hands into your spirit as the son did to the father and saying, Lord, would you, I'm committing my soul unto one who is a faithful creator. Lord, you're faithful. You're going to carry me through. You're going to give me the grace I need to overcome. There is a, there is an, a, even though this situation is different from anyone else, there's a divine ability you're going to give me to overcome. And when we hold on to that, that's how we can obtain the abundance of grace and we can reign in this life. He is our faithful creator. And if we follow him in that way, we will rejoice like Job because we will see him in that day and stand with him, having allowed him to do that beautiful work in our lives. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for your plan. Lord, we thank you that even though there's suffering in this world, you've given us, even in the midst of suffering, you've given us a wonderful hope. Lord, that we can safely trust in you, that our soul can rest in you who are a faithful creator. Lord, we ask for your grace afresh. Lord, if there are any saints who are going through this season of suffering, Lord, we cry out to you. Lord, would you put your fresh grace, oh, fresh strength from your throne, oh God. Lord, and that you would do that beautiful work as you're writing and, and weaving those colors 
into our lives and into our hearts. Oh Lord, we just cry out to you. Give us that, that ability to look unto you and to have that certain hope in our hearts and make that determination that it would shine out your glory, we pray. Do that beautiful work in us, we ask, and we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.